Do you know about Acker Wines? It's America's oldest wine shop and the world's largest fine wine auction house. Their weekly web auction is all the rage right now with thousands of new bottles available every week with all types of great stuff ready for drinking with prices starting at $20. That's right, 20 bucks. With hundreds of selections for less than $100 every month, there are tons of wines to choose from. If you're looking for fun, new or aged bottles to try, each week brings a new assortment of the world's finest and rarest wines, often in try them out sizes. Also, there's no reason not to be buying at auction, especially when the finds are this good. In addition, the retail store is stocked with thousands of items to choose from, including lots of cutting-edge stuff. Go to ackerwines.com to get in on the action and take your cellar and drinking habits to the next level. That's ackerwines, A-C-K-E-R, wines.com. Use the promo code BWG25 to get $25 off any purchase of $100 or more. Retail only. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, everybody, it's your boy, MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is esteemed Psalm wine educator and disabilities advocate, Yannick Benjamin. Uh, Yannick is the head Psalm of the University Club and a proud New Yorker from Hell's Kitchen, y'all. Um, he was born into a family of French restaurateurs, and he has worked for many highly regarded restaurants here in the city, Le Cirque, Oceana, Jean-Georges, Atlas, uh, Felidia, which I said wrong, and Atelier at the Ritz-Carlton. Uh, he has also worked for 10 years at Le Du Wine, one of the top wine retail stores in Manhattan. In 2003, a car accident left him paralyzed from the waist down. However, his passion for wine drove him to quickly adapt. He outfitted his wheelchair with a table that allowed him to continue working as a sommelier and to educate on wine. Uh, Yannick went on to create Wine on Wheels, which is one of New York City's largest and most exciting wine events. Uh, every year, it brings hundreds of esteemed psalms together to pour over 180 wines from around the world for noble charity. Uh, his Tyler's work and innovative vision is bringing awareness and visibility to the seldom heard voices in the wine industry, championing inclusivity and diversity. Welcome, Yannick. Oh, thank you so much. Anything Such else you'd like to add, man? No, but uh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure and such an honor. It really is. Oh, well, we're just, I'm super excited <laughs> you're here, man. And I really am. Um, I I remember watching the Psalm movies and like, fuck, this dude is a badass. Because <laughs> like, I mean, we'll get into that. But um, we, Yannick and I connected through Instagram. Like he's like, he, he walks the walk. He's been following me for a while. And <laughs> You know, I don't know how, you know, and, and, uh, and I sent him a DM and he, he said he'd come on. And, uh, before we get into like that, 
why don't we tell everybody what wines you brought today? Yeah. Well, first off, thank you. And you're doing such a great job. And I, I've listened to almost all your um, episodes. And um, I'm still missing two that I have to listen to. But I keep up the good work. And you're doing a great job. Um, the two wines that I brought are two wines that I'm going to feature um, I'm opening up a small uh, restaurant up in East Harlem on um, 88 East 111 Street called Contento. And we're going to do a lot of great things there. We want the restaurant to be open for people with disabilities to come learn about the industry um, and other marginalized communities. And part of the wine list is going to have a section called Wines of Impact. And so these two wines that I brought, um, the first one that we're drinking right now is a Viognier from Kishore Vineyards. They're actually way up north in Israel, in the Galilee. Oh, wow. Um, and this is, um, so, you know, Viognier, pretty floral, aromatic. It has this phenolic bitterness to it. Um, this is more of a kind of a, a low-key style, um, which is fresh and easy drinking, very quaffable. But what makes this uh, winery really special, um, in Israel, they have this concept, um, or in Jewish culture, and everyone think a lot of people think I'm Jewish because of Yannick Benjamin. Um, but <laughs> I, I just, you know, growing up in New York City, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm a mosaic of different cultures. Sure, you know? sure. But uh, uh, this is a kibbutz. And kibbutz is like sort of a kind of a being self-reliant. You know, your, your neighbor grows one certain crop and one neighbor does milk and you, you all kind of share. And that's how you kind of sustain yourself. And in here, this winery, Kishore, um, the people that work at this winery all have intellectual dif- disabilities um, or developmental disabilities. And I think it's such a wonderful project that they're doing um, because people in life need a sense of purpose. And so these individuals who normally probably would have difficulty having a place to go to or a place to go to work, they here they are. They're, they're, make, they're making delicious wine. Um, they're also growing other crops. But again, that, that 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 they have meaning, and I think that's really um, um, a spe- spectacular thing that they're doing there. Um, shall I talk about the second wine, or yeah, we'll just because yeah, 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 you know, sure. Yeah, let's just yeah, rock and roll. Rock, rock and roll. He, he came in. He came in hot. He first of all, he came in, <laughs> came in sharp, sh- no. sharpest dressed guest so far, <laughs> and, and he came in packing two bottles. So. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I I I love wearing suits. My 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 wife is always trying to like tell me not to always get dressed up, but I do love wearing suits. It's like my, I'm not mad at you. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you know, that. <laughs> sharp. I used to wear suits, and like, you know. But but you look good, man. Oh, so thank you. Thanks well, for thanks for. I feel I feel like I feel important. I guess what is it? Well, you are important, actually. You are very important, you know, and I respect you immensely. Um, the second one that I brought in, actually, Pascaline kind of stole the thunder because this was the wine that I was going to bring before she came because she brought in a wine from Vermont. Yes. So she brought in from uh, uh, like a regista, Deirdre Heakin, who's yep. a wonderful person. So I actually brought in a wine from Vermont too because oh, we're going to have we're going to have a strong emphasis on wines on of the East Coast. Okay. Okay. But also, this is also a wine of impact, right? And this is a wine, a winery called Ellison Vineyards. They're located right in Vermont, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're right. They're, their fruit there is right on that Lake Champlain area, so unique microclimate. But they're they bring the grapes and they everything's aged and made in stow. Um, it's a lovely couple. Uh, Kendra is a veterinarian. Um, her husband Rob Napik, um, he's actually the head of the physics department at um, Norwich uh, College out in Vermont. So really smart and nice people who who are making some interesting stuff. And these are really honest and pure wines. Um, they're really big on regenerative agriculture, which I'm also a big fan of. So I'm like 
I'm, you know, like all about farming, and I think it's really important for our future. And this is made from a, a grape called Saint-Croix. It's a hybrid grape that really thrives in cool climate, which obviously Vermont is mm-hmm. kind of like cool climate. They call them, they like to call themselves alpine wines, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. So when you taste this wine, you'll notice that it has a lot in common with grapes like Trousseau or Poussard, those really geeky grapes mm-hmm. from um, mm-hmm. um, the Jura. A lot of like, as I just said before, a little bit of this funkiness. It's going to be funk, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, my God. Uh, that's so awesome. Well, I, I, you know, it's just so glad you're here. We actually had you scheduled, uh, um, I don't know, might have been like it was a while back, at least a month ago. Yeah. And um, and then uh, you, I get a tech, I get a message from you right. like, dude, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I yes. can't make it. Um, you're in the hospital. And I was like, yeah, I mean, at first I was like, fuck. I mean, no, I was, no, I was like, dude, I hope you're all right. But then yeah. I was like scrambling to find a guest, which we found a guest. So it worked out really well. Oh, and I always I believe, and I always believe this though, things happen when they're supposed to happen. Okay. Right. So, so, um, and, and so it just gives more to talk about because you, but like what happened there, man? Yeah. So, um, first off, thank you for your understanding. And I thought that I was going to be able to make it out. Right. Um, for some of you who are listening who don't know, um, I'm I'm paralyzed from the waist down. So which means that I don't have any sensation or, or any motor. And unfortunately, in my case, um, I have to be careful, you know, what, you know, if I get a nick or, or a scratch on my leg. And on my left leg in particular, it does happen um, very rarely, but it does happen where um, my leg um, reacts poorly to uh, a, a scratch that would be perfectly fine for anybody else. Mm. And um, I develop cellulitis. So um, the cellulitis was kind of under control. And then on that Saturday morning, it got incredibly swollen and red. And I was hitting fevers of about 103. Oof. So I went over to Mount Sinai Hospital. And then um, I basically was there for about four and a half days, um, you know, getting the, the good old IV. You know, uh, thank goodness for penicillin because um, I probably would not be here right now. Mm. It's, a, it's amazing how these small little things can go really crazy. And unfortunately, um, I, you know, I, I probably would have done the podcast on the phone or on Zoom <laughs> if we needed to. I, you know, I'm a team player. But it was one of those things that um, they were not – um, letting me go. And um, actually, I continued a few more days after at home with the IV treatment, some, something that they call um, hospital at home. Mm. But all is well. But this is the life with uh, paralysis, you know, um, you yeah. know, not, it has its challenges. No, yeah, well, um, I mean, <laughs> it's like, that's like incredible. Like, we, it just, I think there's so many things in life we take for granted. Yes. You know, and, and like, like you said, like what would be just a nick to someone could could be life threatening to you. So, um, yeah. just seriously glad you're all right. And, well, thank uh, you. And it's to- it was totally cool. It's totally fine. <laughs> but he, he literally he was he was like he like sent me a picture <laughs> from from the hospital like with the with the uh, wristband on. He's like, no, I was like I was like, dude, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know, you know. Yeah, no, people I, people can be can be creative, right? Well, exactly, right. Yeah. I, I I concur. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about um, mm. let's talk about young Yannick. Um, yes. So you grew uh, up in Hell's Kitchen, yes, uh, with French parents. Um, mm. Read somewhere your mother is from Bordeaux and your yeah. father is from Brittany, Bretagne. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what was what what was uh, what was that like growing up in Hell's Kitchen yes. with with. Uh, very f- with French parents. Yes. Uh, so there must have been a food and wine culture in the house. For sure. Um, my dad worked um, along with his two brothers. They worked in some of the best restaurants at that time in, in New York City. Restaurants like uh, La Côte Basque and Lutece and 
La Grenouille, which was still there. Um, it was it, it, there was definitely a dichotomy of two worlds, meaning that you know you, when I left the apartment or you know six six four on Tenth Avenue, which is between forty six and forty seventh, you know it was during the height of the crack epidemic. Mm. Um, you know if you grew up in the suburbs, you're usually saying hello to the to the mailman or to to the milkman or whatever, and I'm actually saying hello to the woman that's working the street, you know mm. or. Uh, whatever and you know they were always i mean they were good you kind of like you know they were doing their thing they were working their hustle all respect to them um but then you'd come back home and here i was you know eating really good food um you know we you know i come from a humble background and our conversations would be things like um hey have you seen that young kid who just you know who who just got off the bus and has been hanging around the park and we haven't seen him and what that really meant was like oh we hope he didn't od you know Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. you know you could i guess you have an incredible. I have an incredible perspective because you would see all these fresh-faced kids coming from wherever, and you could just slowly see them deteriorate. You know, the skin breakouts. Um, you know, kind of like they were just all skin, skin and bones by like five weeks, six weeks into it. So that was very unique in that wow. sense. And to have Times Square as my backyard, it, yeah, it's, people find it hard to believe. Um, but it was definitely a unique experience. But I was really blessed because I think my parents always, you know, kept me on track. Even though I would say that I was definitely far from a perfect kid, um, I definitely got myself into – and when I say I got myself into trouble, I definitely got myself into trouble. But I grew up incredibly diverse. Um, you know, every school that I went to, um, I mean, I was definitely – you know, there, it was black and Hispanic mm-hmm. and – I was a white kid and I stuck out because I was a white kid. <laughs> right, you know what I right, mean? Yeah. You know, and then I had this name Yannick, you know, and I, and I spoke French. So I was very exotic to them. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, um, and really, but I, I, you know, I, I was just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't trade it for anything else. It was really a, a, a me- I only have really great memories, to be honest with you. Yeah. Sure. Do you think, um, as I hear that, do you, uh, do you think growing up, um, seeing people, right, you know, like uh, struggle to make a living and seeing, mm-hmm. you know, you hear the story of the fresh-faced kid that come from Idaho yeah. to New York City. Yeah. Um, and then also being the minority in a school. Do you think, do you think that, um, what, what do you, what do you think that really shaped in you? Like what comes to mind? Like, does that, does it give you, did it give you a, a compassion, a more compassionate lens? Like, for sure. I mean, I definitely, especially within the last, you know, two, three years, in our industry where we're talking about diversity and inclusion, you know, and I, I mean, I'm like, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I've always had empathy and I always understood it. And in order to have really, you know, that kind of empathy and to understand what other people go through and, you know, particularly those in the BIPOC community, um, you have to kind of experience it. And I, you know, I, I don't know if I should be saying this, but I will anyway, but, uh, you know, I've been, one occasion walking with two of my friends, I won't mention their names because they'll probably kill me, but, but, um, who are brown skinned. And, you know, this is during the Giuliani days. And one of my friends was smoking a joint. I was not smoking a joint. I was super obsessed. I, I smoke pot here and there, you know, but, but he was smoking a joint. And it was one of those things that, you know, we didn't think of. And in comes a van, comes right in front of us. And they, they took us in, threw us in the back of the van. They were doing their quota, you know what stop I mean? Stop and frisk. Stop and frisk. They weren't even, they weren't no, even, they, they weren't, they were stopping they, they were just a like, cost. you're going, and, and, um, you know, until you actually go through experiences like that, and I had the cop, you know, like a couple of those, you know, 
white cops tell me like, you know, they were looking down at me kind of like, what are you doing with those kids? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, and you, I mean, exactly what you're thinking, you know, like you, you shouldn't be hanging out with those kids. You should be hanging out with people that look like you. Um, yeah. And like that, that was in Midtown North. And then they took us to Midtown South. And then I was trying to like say, I said, I needed a phone call to call my job because I'm not, I was going to be in jail for a couple of, you know, like a day and a half. They wouldn't let me do that. And so this is how these things happen. A small little thing could have, you know, just a little fine or just a little slap on the wrist. And you know what? Thankfully, I didn't lose my job. But how many stories like that exist? Oh, yeah. And so mm-hmm. I know a lot of people when they watch the news or they hear other people's stories, they think, I can't possibly be true or it's an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. But you got to be in the in in the midst of it um, to actually believe it, and so you know in that aspect, I, I've I've experienced many times. I mean, not many times being in jail, <laughs> but the the whole aspect of like you know being being treated because I was I was around people mm-hmm. of the BIPOC community. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's for me, it's it's sad. Like I have the, I like expect it, so I have like this this not a callousness, but. I would say, like, you know how you get a callus and it's a little bit tougher, right? So, like, I you yeah. expect that. But people don't, like, until people don't, like, get it. Like, you know, like. No, they don't get I it. I think about, and and just, I'm going to digress. You went there. Like, like my first interaction with a cop. Like, we were, we were, I grew up in the suburbs. And we were over at the high school lighting firecrackers. And someone calls me, my cousin, and the Puerto Rican kid. And the cops came in so hot. And he's like, he was like. And, you know, and this is like, I first, I'm, in, I'm like a, like 13 and I had nothing to do with the police. And uh, he's like, come here. I'm like, who me? He's like, no, the fucking man on the moon. Like, why do cops like oh, talk God, to kids? Yeah. That? Like, I'm yeah. a kid, right? Yeah, like, I mean, they didn't take us or anything. But like, literally, I think about like, and that's like in the little suburbs, like how bad it was. And I remember in the 90s coming to New York, stop and frisk and shit. And yeah. you, you would see like. My roommate from law school lived in Fort Greene when it was Fort Greene. Um, <laughs> and uh, we were walking down the street one day and we and we hear, get the fuck on the ground. But it was the roll up on somebody else. Like the, the cop car came in yeah. all these directions, yeah. pulled out of people. And we, we were like, we were like not wanting to get shot. Like of people course. don't understand. Um, and I don't talk about that. But like, yeah, you have to understand. Like if you're a person of color, you, you do have to worry about your interaction it's- with the police it's very legit it's just johnny cochran once said the most powerful person in the american legal system is the police officer because he can take your life and get away with it and we've seen that way too many times so absolutely and i, I like i said like that experience i i could have lost my job and everything could have yep. gone up and i mean of course i you know was it, uh, you go in front of the judge in midtown north and it was dismissed and i mean you know life went on but you know things could have escalated to a point where it could have gotten very bad just from a small little like joint it was just you know yeah. stupidity at its best which is now legal go yeah. figure <sighs> which is now legal <laughs> exactly exactly All right. yeah. so um so let's talk more you said you, you used to eat good meals like was your mother a good cook or did your father cook because he worked in restaurants yes. or like what who was who, who was the chef in the house uh, yeah so my dad is a very good critic but not a very good cook <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, my mom is a wonderful cook um and and she's a, what makes her cooking so wonderful is the love that goes behind it um i've never met anyone that doesn't come that hasn't been to my 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 to my house and my mom is cooking and they can just feel it you know mm-hmm. and um my mom and my dad i, I was blessed you know my my two best friends, you know, or three best friends. One's Filipino, one's half Greek, half Mexican, one's hun- from Honduras. And that's where we went to. You know, we hung out late at night. We would come in, write out leftovers, and we would just pound it. And they oh, just wow. love my mom's cooking, you know. So, you know, when you have that kind of cultural diversity and they, they love French cooking, it says a lot about who the chef is, right? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. <laughs> 
for sure. So your family is, uh, like you said, your 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 father and your uncles worked in some of the top restaurants. So when did when did it be kind of become obvious to you that um, you were going to be in food and wine was your calling? Well, I, you know, I, I've always admired and I, I love my dad so much, you know, and I've always looked up to him. I mean, I just I think about the fact that he stopped going to school at 14. You know, he fought in the French Algerian War. His first job was a dishwasher at a restaurant that still exists called La Grenouille, which mm. we call the Grenouille, you mm-hmm. know, on 52nd. Um, and he was just like always a total hustler, always trying to figure it out, you know, um, and, you know, never didn't have it easy, but just 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 figured it out. So I just that and alone always excited me. But I remember, you know, we would host Sunday meals and having us two brothers come over, my uncles and some other friends, and just hearing them talk and gossip about the restaurant. It just sounded exciting. Um, and, you know, as a kid, you 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 start, you know, we, we all go through that phase of like Hollywood and being famous and all that. And I thought, well, that's the closest thing to like being an entertainer, you know? Right. And then I... I just, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I love Cheers. And Sam Malone, I thought, was the greatest man <laughs> on earth. You know, I was like, this guy gets all the ladies. He's hanging out with his friends. He's got the easiest job. That's what I want to do. I want to go to work where I'm happy all the time. And that's what it is, you know. And, and so, you know, definitely I had a big picture of the Cheers cast oh my uh, in my bedroom. That's how my, I mean, I love that show. I still love that show. So that definitely was kind of a catalyst, to be honest with you. I, I feel you, man. I, I went to law school because of L.A. law. But, but <laughs> I, I saw Blair Underwood. He's a good-looking black guy. Very I could say I could, I could I could wear a suit. I could go up. Yes. I can go. I object. Then I realized that shit is nothing like L.A. law. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I should have went the bar route myself. <laughs> I, well, it's okay. You're doing all right for yourself. Um, so um, what was what was your first job in the industry? My first real job, I mean, be, be, before um, working at Bryant Park was, I was doing some side jobs, some side hustles. But my real first actual job where I wasn't getting paid cash was at the age of 16. And I did the opening at Bryant Park Grill, which is right down the block from where we're at right okay. now. And that was really an exciting place. And, um, and, and you know, I, I, I put all my energy and my focus there. And then my grades started to slip, but I, I kept on working. And I, I was working first as a porter then as a receiver, and then I was doing some barback shifts, even though I wasn't supposed to because I was under 18. But um, it was uh, it was a magical time, and I worked – I had some really good supervisors, good managers. And I, right then and there, that, that definitely confirmed that I was going to stay in this industry for the rest of my life. Oh, man. I love that. I love that. Mm. Um <clears throat> So you you follow me, so you you see my posts. You know, I I dig pop culture. Yes, of course. <laughs> and um, I read somewhere, in addition to your love of Sam Malone, that um, <laughs> you, you you after watching Cocktail, you 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 want to become oh, God, yeah, of you want to you're like a Ruba Jamaica who in your oh, fucking yeah. bottle, like. Uh, what, what, oh, shit. Was, was, yeah. was, was that the next level? Like, you're like, oh, my God, forget Boston. I'm going to be. Yes, exactly. Boston. Yeah, exactly. So that is um, love, love that movie cocktail, especially like if you're an aspiring bartender at that time. <laughs> and it was cheesy kind of like 80s movie. Um, and Tom Cruise actually did a really good job, I thought. Um, the other guy, what's his name? Um, the actor Brown. The, the, uh, Brian Brown. Brian Brown, exactly. Australian yeah, guy, yeah, Australian guy who, oh, who – uh, 
crushed it too. But I would take the empty bottles from Brian Park after my shift, and then I would duct tape them, you know, and then I would flip them. And of course, I had scars all over my, um, you know, forearms. But that's what I want. You know, I wanted to be like be on the bar and like flip it behind my back and do the whole, you know, where you, you tip the <laughs> bottle on your nose. And I mean, of course, it was just all about like, you know, it was again, it was that whole form of being an entertainer yeah. and pleasing others. Yeah. You know, yeah. it all goes back to that. It's so true. It's so true. Like, um, there is, there is this, um, I'm sure we're going to tell you, but like there is, there's a performance that goes on and yeah. what, what you do, you know, in beverage and food exactly. and, 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 and real hospitality, you sure. know, you know, and you could even do that at McDonald's. You could be really, you could someone, if they wanted to, they could bring, they could up level McDonald's, but you know, instead of welcome to McDonald's, might take your order. Um, yeah. But, well, um, I, I've actually had some really good service at McDonald's. I've had some good experiences, some really nice people that work there to be honest, but who have gone out of their way. I have to I say. love that when it happens. I always acknowledge that when it happens too. I'm yeah. like, man, you got a good attitude. I'm like, well, for sure. Why wouldn't I? For sure. You know, for I, sure. I totally, I, I yeah. totally feel you. Yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not shitting on the entire McDonald's community, yeah. guys. Okay. No, no, no. I know you're not. No, <laughs> no I'm, really... I'm just being goofy. Yeah. Um, so, um, oh my God. Um, you know, I'm also, I lived in California. So I, yes. I think everything I said earlier when we were warming up, I think things happen when they're supposed to happen. Everything's connected. Um, so, also read that. Um, you were influenced by Kevin Zraeli, who was the wine director at Windows on the World. Yes. Um, and um, and uh, we just had – actually, we had Harmon Skernick on. We haven't dropped that episode yet. Yes. Okay. So, so we've been – We've been we're we're now in Kevin's uh, circle. How did how did he come to influence you and like what was that? Well, interestingly enough, um, first off, it was one of the first wine books that I had. I thought it was you know it, it really laid it out pretty lovely for you know n- newcomers like myself. And I think you would know this, but like in the nineties, that concept of sommeliers did not exist yeah. here here in the New York City yeah. in the United States period. Yeah. Um, and even my father, who worked in four star restaurants, they didn't have a sommelier. Yeah. Like the captain needed to know yeah. the, the, the 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 head honcho was the maitre d, which has now been downgraded to like sort of like a host or hostess. Not nothing bad, but the maitre d was calling the shots. Mm-hmm. You know, they were doing everything. Um, but Kevin Zarelli, they call him America's first sommelier. In many, in many cases, I would say that's probably true. Um, you know, he oversaw Windows in the World, which was this incredible restaurant um, that changed American cuisine and dining. And his book just completely inspired me. But when I worked at Le Cirque, I was 19 years old. I was a young kid. And the sommelier that was there, the wine director, was an American, um, still a good friend of mine. His name is Ralph Hersom. He has a retail store now out in Ma- Massachusetts. And I said, oh, God, this guy is just like, you know, serving wine. People love him. He's talking it up with the guest. He's not out in the back of the kitchen getting screamed at by the chef or getting plates <laughs> thrown at him. I mean, literally, right? It was really rough back then. And I, you know, I started because my goal was to eventually become, you know, either own my own restaurant, but to become like for, you know, a, a Metro D, be the guy mm-hmm. in the front door, be mm-hmm. the toll booth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, he was, he kind of took me under his wings. He was very generous with his knowledge. So there's that lineage. He worked under Kevin Zarelli at Windows of the World. So that's where, so, you know, and he was kind of, his philosophy was very similar. To, uh, to Kevin's early, so that's how it all you know. It, it really t- you know connects with me. That, I mean, it's it's a it's funny. It's a it's a small world. This world of wine at the at, at you know because everything has levels. So I think like 
I think it's like sports analogy. Like, so baseball, you have double A, triple A, right. you know, and then you have the major leagues. Like, once you get the majors, like, everybody kind of knows each other. Absolutely. And, and has, has been influenced by each other. Um, so, what was, like, your next job? We talked about your first job, uh, uh, the restaurant over um, Bryant right. Park. Um, so, what kind of, like, what was your progression? Where did you go next? Right. So, when I was in Bryant Park, um, of course, I wanted to go – I, did, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to just go to a straight-up, like, hospitality trade school. And I would have liked to have gone to some place in France and do – you know, they have these, like, really great certificate courses. Mm -hmm. Knocked it out, like, 15 months or a year. Mm -hmm. And then you do your internships and all that. And my dad was convinced. He was like, listen, Yannick, of course, like every immigrant's dream is your, your kids, goes you know, goes to college. They become a politician. They become a doctor, lawyer. You know that, yep. all that stuff. But he was supportive. He was like, at least try college for a little bit. And he was convinced by the guidance uh, counselor that we had at school, you know. And, you know, she was not here. And she's like, what do you want to do, sir? You know, tables and bus tables. That, like, she couldn't understand that. I get it. But, whatever. but, but you yeah. got to watch Cocktail. You got to watch Cocktail. <laughs> you got to watch Cocktail. You got to watch Cheers. Yeah. yeah. We don't, you don't watch Cheers? Come yeah. on. These guys. Yeah. Are... I, unfortunately, back then, they didn't, we didn't have Hulu or Netflix. So I had nothing to, like, go back <laughs> right, on. No DVR. Yeah, nothing, like... right, exactly. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But um, so then I, I actually did go to college. Okay. And, of course, me being um, kind of mischievous, I was kindly asked to leave my first semester. Wow. Um, and my dad <laughs> and my dad and my dad said, okay, obviously, you know, you give a hundred percent to work and you could care less about school. And so um Sira Maccioni, the owner at the time of Le Cirque, um, was looking, he was hired for his new Le Cirque 2000 that was at the Palace Hotel. And my dad basically, he created a, a resume for me. I don't know if you remember, like Tandy Computers, which oh, was yeah, this Radio yeah. Shack computer, uh -huh. Radio Shack. and how it kind of printed out. So he created that, um, like some kind of resume. My name's Yannick Benjamin. I'm looking to work. I worked at Bryant Park and I, you know, that kind of very, it was very cute. And I wish I still had that. I would, I should, I, I would have framed that. I might have it somewhere. Anyway, and he basically grabbed me by my ear and said, Sir, because they all knew each other back then. Said, sir, you need. Can you hire my son? Because he's a, you know, he he's a bum right now. Um, and, <laughs> Such a dad. And and, and and Serial said, I'm only gonna hire you right now because I I feel sorry for your dad because my son's decided to to be in the restaurant business and clearly you're as dumb as them. And I also feel sorry for you because if you don't get your job, I know what's gonna happen to you. You know. So, but it was very charming, like looking back, and yeah. you know he had a very profound uh, um you know effect on my life. And so I got hired as a bar back there, and you know that's how it all kind of and then the whole world of like caviar and fancy ingredients and high-end service and Giridons and, you know, table side uh, service. That's where it all began. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How much time did you spend there? I spent close to two years and then I got, you know, and then I started realizing that I was getting complacent and I wanted to learn. I mean, the money was really good. But um, so I started exploring other restaurants where I jumped around, you know, at a place like John George and Oceana um, and then Felidia and then working at Atel at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel for a great chef called uh, Gabriel Kreuter, who has a restaurant on 42nd between 5th and 6th, who I think is one of the best chefs I've ever worked for. And um, that's where I – that's where like – that was really one of my first jobs as a sommelier was working at the, the Ritz-Carlton. Um, and I was working under a sommelier, a master sommelier there. His name is Willie Schur, who is really one of the most down-to-earth, humble kind of guys I've ever met. And I kind of – you know, the way I am today is a lot to do with because of how he trained me, mm -hmm. kind of down to earth and not taking things for granted. And, 
you know, not shitting on anyone because they're drinking a wine that you're, you, you don't approve of, you know, and not understanding why they're drinking that wine. You know, it's kind of like, you know, understanding their perspective. Yeah. And being open-minded. So, um, what's that, you know, I, I, I have, a. Victoria's coming on. I finished her uh, book. So oh, what, yes, so, yes. So what's it like being – what was like – so it sounds like you had a good Cellarat experience, but like what, what what's that – like what was – like what was – what's it like when you're just at the bottom? You know, so I, I'll say this. You know, um, right now I'm probably about 4'11", but back then I was a pretty big guy. I was 6'3", um, and I wouldn't say that I was arrogant, but I knew my place. Um, but I also understood hierarchy. I never talked back to my superiors, mm -hmm. but I kind of just, you know, I let them know, like, yeah, you can't shit on me. And if, and I, I've had, I mean, I, I'd say on two different occasions where I had two cooks or chefs try to shit on me uh, in front of people. And then when I had that opportunity to, when they were by themselves, you know, that kind of water cooler moment. And I said, hey, if you have a problem with me, I think you and I should go talk outside. And that kind of just, you know, <laughs> and I'm not saying that I was like, I'm not saying that I was the toughest guy, but I knew how to get hit and I got hit many times. Like Grumman Hell's Kitchen. And, yeah. and, but I, but, but for sure, like if, you know, it's easy to play tough guy when right. you're sort of protected. Right. And people know it, it's easy to talk shit to someone. Yeah, exactly. But like, if you really want to say that to me again, let's talk about, let's talk about it. And I, it wasn't a threat. It was just like, let's, you know, and we can see how that goes. Yeah. It's kind of like a. Uh, we were talking before the show, kind of like a Goodwill hunting moment. He's like, you know, but if you have a problem with that, you know, we could. That's it. Yeah. It's got like. You kind of, you do it discreetly, you right, know. Right. And so, I mean, you know, usually you have to imagine people that really talk that much and that are just that malicious. There's no way that they could have gotten hit in the face because we all know. Oh, yeah. Because you know it hurts when you get hit in oh, the face. Oh, yeah. It fucking hurts. Oh, yeah. It, it's no, a, I'm, people. I've, <laughs> I've been in fights and I, I got rolled once. People and, and yes. consequently. I, you know, and I did martial arts. You like you, you, it? Fighting hurts, right? So yeah. you can tell people who've never been in a fight, yes, because they just just popping off. They're popping too much, it's, too to hit. Yeah. Like what Tyson say, everybody has a, a a plan till they get a punch in the face. That's right. That's right. You know, and 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 I think that's. I think that's one of the issues with the internet. It has it, it yes. allows people to be uh, bullies. Like people would not say that shit to to people's faces. Just wouldn't happen. Yeah, unfortunately, you know? uh, it's uh, that whole kind of. I mean, it, we we throw this term a lot, but that sort of cancel culture and and there's severe ramifications. You know, when you're just throwing shit out like that and and trying to hurt people, it's because it, it stays out there. You know, it's one thing if we're in a room and I say, I, I right. don't, you know, I, right. you, you piss me off, MJ. Right. When you throw it out and like, eh. yeah, it'd be like it'd be like somebody be like, well. He, MJ pissed him off like it'd be 15 years ago, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's yeah. it's it's kind of crazy, but I love that. I love how you uh, and I just like just, just there's this class about you like that that just runs through your life from everything you share. Just like you know, no need to uh, be belligerent or act up. You just quietly say, you know, listen, we, you know, and literally like let's go talk about it outside. Doesn't mean we're gonna punch, but like don't don't don't. Put me on blast in front of people, Don't bro. Put, yeah, exactly. You know? I, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um, uh, what was um, so? What was the so? You you got this job, yeah. and you're you're working under a master psalm. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> and you told us about this earlier. People like the psalm movies. People don't realize like like that was not 
it wasn't a thing. Like someone, like there was like maybe, like you said, you 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 come from a family restaurant tour. Yes. It was like, it was not, it wasn't a thing. It, it just, it wasn't a thing. It, it certainly was not a thing. And I, I, I think probably, you know, and it, it really started, you know, sometime in the, after 03, after 04, because, uh, you know, 9-11 happened and then the economy was somewhat stagnant. And then after 03, 04, it went crazy again, you know, yeah. I just went nuts. And I think that's when like Psalms and then restaurateurs or people owned restaurants saw the benefit of having someone, you know, talk wine and sell wine, the bottom line. And that's where that culture, and then definitely the Saw movie just like, uh, like set it off. It was just unbelievable. And that's where, and then everybody like, you know, even people that are just like wine lovers or, you know, lifestyle advocates, you know, they they call themselves Psalms, which is fine. You know, I know you could care less, but yeah. 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 No, that's an interesting thing too. <laughs> <It's> I, like, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> get into that yeah. one too so yes. well, i'll ask you some more questions um yeah so what was 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 that your job what was what was the job where you were like i think i don't want to put words in your mouth but was that the job when you felt you were like on your way you knew you were tracking where you wanted to go oh uh, yeah absolutely was working under Ga gabrielle kreuter um at the ritz carlton hotel mm -hmm. and i and you know I, I probably mixed this up but I was working there five days a week, and on my days off, I was working at Felidia, two shifts as a psalm there under a guy named David Weizenhofer. So I was on the real hustle. So, oh, wow, man. Because my whole background was French, dealing with French wine, some American wines. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to learn about Italian wines, and Felidia was just like this great place. I think I got paid $80 a shift, but it wasn't about the money. So I was on that real hustle. I wanted to learn everything. So yeah, that was – I was on that trajectory. Like I in, – in my, in my head, I said – I want to become a wine director of like a three Michelin, four star New York Times restaurant. That was where I wanted to be at because I love fine, fine dining. Absolutely love it. Awesome. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to pause you right there. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back right sure. into uh, your love of fine dining. <laughs> if you're a fan of the show, you know that there would be no black wine guy experience without Acker Wines. America's oldest wine shop is now the world's destination for fine and rare wine. That's why I want you to go over to their website and check them out. Whether you're seeking the world's finest and rarest bottles or just something for everyday drinking, Acker Wines is the place to go to expand your palate and enhance your personal wine experience. Go to ackerwines.com. That's A-C-K-E-R wines.com. Use the promo code BWG25 to get $25 off any purchase of $100 or more. Retail only. Okay, we're back. Um, so you were talking about like you just fell in love with fine dining. And then before that, you mentioned how um, the Psalm scene really started to take off in like 2003. Um, 2003 um, was the year you were in a car accident that left you paralyzed from the waist down. Mm. Um, you know, I we talk about adversity a lot on this show. Right. Um, but you really have achieved so much. So... How, I mean, what was it like? What was it like coming back from that? Like, I mean, because I, I, all I'll just say is like, if someone's never had surgery, like I can only imagine because you, you were in an accident, right? Like, I had surgery once. Surgery, and I knew I was having surgery. They say count backwards from 10, you go 10, 9, and then your clock is cleaned. You wake up four or five hours later and you can't remember shit. Like, what was it like? Did you just like wake up and I mean, and what yeah. happened? Man? Uh, uh, unfortunately, I, I've been under anesthesia uh, probably I want to say almost 10, 10, uh, 10, 10 different occasions, you wow. know. 
And um, so people ask me if I'm afraid of death, then I'm like, well, if there's no afterlife, then death is not too bad because that's probably the closest thing. Because I don't even dream when I want to, and then I just wake up. So, yeah. Mm. So I'm not. I'm certainly not afraid of it. But um, you know, with my car accident, I think the you know I was I was on my way back home. Um, at that time, um, I, I had this you know, again great job at. at at the Ritz Carlton, I just felt like I was hitting my stride. I was 25 years old. You know, things were really kind of coming together. And, um, you know, I was in a car accident that, you know, listen, only physics can ever explain it, right? I mean, many people probably would have been in that same car accident and they would have been fine. You know, in my case, that wasn't, you know, and the the bone that I broke, I could have broken many different bones. The bones that I broke, well, I you know, I fractured my... My, my ribs, but um, the most important bone, I, I fractured my vertebrae, which went hence, you know, um, you know, um, uh, destroyed my, my, my uh, spinal cord, which uh, then kind of cuts off all my signals from my brain down to my legs. Um, so I knew immediately, to be honest with you, right then and there, because I was very in tune with my body. I took very good care of it. Um, and I knew, I said, oh, God, like whatever is going to happen, there's going to be some long-term ramifications, you know. I knew that's something because I – the best way I can describe it, it's funny that we're talking about, you know, we're talking about cocktail, Tom Cruise, but I had to get myself out of the car, right? Mm. Um, and it was just instinct. And of course, you know, of course, you know, they always tell you, don't move, don't move. But at that time, you don't think that stuff. There was smoke coming out of my car and my instinct was to get the hell out of there. And to make a very long story short, I was able to pull myself out of the car, even though I, I had already lost uh, any motor in my legs. When I finally got out of the car, I was laying on my back um, on the ground, and it was on 96th Street um, on the West Side Highway. And I'm looking up, and there's rain. It's pouring rain. It's late October, and it's cold. And the rain, it's just going all slow. And, and for some reason, um, you know, I had a flashback of every little thing from the time that I stole bubblegum bubble gum at Stop One Deli <laughs> to just a, an intimate moment with my parents. It's really like I just had these – and then all of a sudden I had – Tom Cruise and Born of the Fourth of July saying to me, simplify, motherfucker, simplify. <laughs> and I'm just, and I always loved that movie. And I, you know, sure enough, I rolled myself over. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, you know, I'm digging my fingernails, my hands into the soil to kind of get up to the side of the road to get some help. And everything felt like hours and hours. Obviously, it was, you know, probably a few minutes. And then finally, uh, a, a cab driver, a livery cab driver. We had livery cab drivers back then. You know, now that doesn't exist. But but he came out and he was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, don't move. I'm calling the cops. I'm calling the cops. I said, all right. And I was just completely spent. And then uh, five women, uh, four women, I think it was, one of them who probably was in healthcare, she said, oh, my God, oh, my God, don't move, you know, you know, kind of had the, like, Rosie Perez voice, very sweet, you know. And when I, you know, and she said, aren't you cold? And I said, what do you mean? I'm, I'm okay, you know, kind of slowly. I'm, like, barely able to talk. Well, as I was climbing up that kind of, like, little slope, uh, my pants and my underwear rolled down to my ankle. Wow. And so I didn't feel the cold and the, 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 the cold water on my body. And it was right then and there I said, oh, shit, this is bad. Like the fact – like not moving my legs is one thing. Right. But not feeling is another thing. And so that was a very hard thing. And then so, you know, I was in the ambulance – and I had a wonderful um, EMT worker, and he, he, I just kept saying, "Think I'm going to walk again?" He said, "I can't, I can't, you know, I can't tell you that, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to be good. You're going to be good." And then, you know, one thing leads it to another, and and you know, certainly uh, it has its challenges for sure. Yeah, oh, shit, man. <laughs> I mean, I can't even <clears throat> imagine. Um, so you you have like this 
huge event, life changing event. Right. Um, and, um, like, how did you, like, what did you have to do to get yourself to be like, all right, well, I'm going to go back to work. Like, I mean, obviously there was this long period of rehabilitation, sure. I'm sure, but like, sure. like, what was, what was that behind your, your drive to re- rehabilitate yourself or like, what was right. your thought process? Well, I was, my car accident happened on October 27, 2003. And then my last day of re- when I went back home was January 9th, you know? Um, so it was, you know, a good two months, a little bit over two months that I did rehab that I was away, which is kind of insane in this day of age. You know, I probably could have been in the hospital for six months to, to learn. But, you know, with the world of insurance, it mm-hmm. just doesn't happen. But in any case, um, you know, the, the truth of the matter is what always motivated me was, one, I was blessed to have a passion for the work that I do. So even while I was in ICU, I asked my mom, hey, and 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 my family, can you please bring me some books, um, some wine books? Because that's what allowed me to get transported into another world and to not lose my motivation. But I knew that I owed it to my mom and to my dad, who both came here with nothing, who worked extremely well, uh, I mean, extremely hard, excuse me, I beg your pardon, um, to give me a life that I had. And that's what really motivated me. And I just, I, I couldn't, I, I, I would never be able to live with myself if I knew that they had to explain to other people like, you know, oh, how's your son Yannick? Well, he's just at home, you know, he's just living. He's just, you know, collecting a paycheck. And so that that's what, you know, but I, I gained that work ethic through them. And, you know, it's, my wife, you know, I understand where she's coming from. She she can't possibly, she doesn't understand how I, I'm always working, how I'm always waking up so early like I do and go to bed late. But that comes from, you know, uh, I mean, we all have insecurities, but my big inse- biggest insecurity is to lose it all. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I'm in a nursing home because I can't afford, you know, and I need nurse, a skilled nursing facility to take care of me. And that's my greatest fear and to miss it out. I have FOMO, right? The fear yeah. of missing out. And, and so uh, that's what motivates me because I lost it. I lost it all pretty much at the age of 25. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I just, that, that, that's my biggest insecurity, but it's also what drives me. Yeah. Well, and you said something, fucking that's amazing. You said something about, um, and I see this, about how you're up so late and then you get up early. So right. let's talk about <laughs> your grind, man. Like I, like literally, you'll, I'll, I'll go into your Instagram stories and yeah. it'll be like 1 o'clock in the morning, one thirty in the morning. Yeah. And then it's like 5.45 a.m. And then yeah. you, you uh, use a wheel. What Talk it's about a, it's, it's a hand crank that I use. Yeah. So it's a, it's just like imagine you using a, like a Peloton bike yep. because you have the use of your legs. I use uh, the equivalent of a Peloton um, hand crank. So it's my upper body. So yep. you've seen those hand cycles, but it's stationary. And that's what, that's my cardio. That's my Zen. Um, and I, and I not only do that, but I also do breathing exercises. I practice, um, I don't know if you ever heard of him, Vim Hoff. Yeah. Um, the Iceman. Mm-hmm. He's a little wacky. So mm-hmm. I do that and then do a little like, um, uh, mindful meditation. Oh, so you have a whole, um, morning mindfulness and uh, for sure spiritual. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Physical, spiritual. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, mental no, no, no routine. About it. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, which so like what, <clears throat> what did you have to do? Uh, by the way, just pause. Like uh, seriously, man, I see you going. I'm like shit. No, I don't think I'm you. like I, I I like and I I appreciate 
you know, in this industry where we do love food and wine and it's very easy to go down a slippery slope of hedonism, like you, you like take care of yourself, man, you know, like, and, um, but let's talk more about, um, the mental stuff you do, the spiritual stuff. So you said, so, so did, um, uh, uh, I don't know. A Hoff is kind of new, but I'm. But the breathing. But like, did you come across that uh, in your recovery at first? Like your, your rehabilitation. Like, how did you? Begin, yeah. You know? So, so it's it's very interesting. Um, um, I I I went to Catholic school, but the Catholic schools in New York were sort of like a slight upgrade from public schools, and so. You know, uh, most of the kids that went there were all blue collar kids. You know, you know, um, most of them either either their mom and dad worked at the theaters or down at the docks and all that. But if you had some kind of money, you try to push your kids. But in, in Catholic schools are just terrible. I mean, they, you know, the I mean, most of these teachers had no business being teachers, right? They, I mean, really, they were just awful. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, they were you know, these. But but the the people that I did meet, um, um, they were part of the Christian Brothers. Um, and they had a real profound effect. A particular one guy, his name is Brother Tony Reynolds, who really had a, a, a deep effect on me. And I, um, I just always admired the fact that he would sacrifice family for the greater good, um, that whole kind of concept of servitude. Now, don't get me wrong. I am incredibly, incredibly every single day I speak out against the Catholic Church <laughs> because I, I do. Um, but I will at the same time um, – you know, even my before I came here, I went to the back of the chapel in St. Patrick's Cathedral, and I just sat there. And who I'm really talking to, or where my, um, if I'm, you know, if my energy, where is it going to? I don't know. Yeah. But it gives me solace, and it's just that moment of peace and quiet. And, and I do feel at peace when I'm at a chapel mm-hmm. and all that. And I can't say that. You know, I'm I'm the most religious person, but I do I do go to church um, on Saturday nights at the Church of Notre Dame um, in Morningside Heights. And there's one reason for it. And I'll tell you very quickly because I don't want to ramble too much. But the priest there, Father Michael Holleran, um, he's one of five people in the world who knows the secret ingredients on how to make chartreuse. So he was <laughs> he was a Carthusian monk who who was for for a number of years making. Uh, chartreuse and Pascaline actually knows him as well because she loves um, yeah, she, Petier, she, uh, chartreuse so she he, he's an amazing man who I admire deeply as well and I love going just to hear his sermons but also to like kind of peace out that, I, you know I can relate to that um, the um, I'm not Catholic or I'm not religious my mother was Jehovah's Witness so you know I mean mm-hmm. that's woof. Um, but uh as I've gotten older, man, like, I love going into church. Like we didn't go to church. Like I love going into church cathedrals. I think they're they're just peaceful. Yeah, you know they're totally peaceful. Like, and you know you go in and they're and like they're they're, they're architectural magic. marvels. They're architectural marvels. You know, but there is a there is there is there is an energy there. Like if you want to commune with your creator, whatever you want to call it, source energy. Exactly. Um, so I, I think that's totally cool. You still, you know, you go and, you know, um, you know, I, I, I shit on Joe witnesses all the time. Man. <laughs> so I like, I don't, I, I don't know, but like, cause my whole we family, all, is, but, do, yeah. but you know, but well, a lot it. of, a lot of us, unless we stayed in the religion, we're like, ah, oh, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so no, I get it. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's complex and it's, it's, it's incredibly complex. Like I said, I, I'm very conflicted um, and I I probably have more negative things to say about the Catholic religion than I do positive things. Yep. 
Um, but it's more kind of like that foundation, and I I just do feel comfortable. But I would uh, in a in a in a church, but I would feel just as comfortable being a in a Jewish temple mm-hmm. as I would in a mosque. Yep. And I've been in both, and I, I I just find that peacefulness in it as well. No, I do. I think I think this, there there is a uh, there's something in those structures. I I, I agree with you a hundred percent. So. Um, Let's, let's talk about Hoff. How'd you get into William Hoff? Actually, that's very interesting. The ice, there's a guy's name is William Iceman Hoff, and he is this. He's a breathing expert. Yeah, uh, and he and I have friends who've done it. Done stuff. They go. He'll he'll take you like to a fjord in Finland and make people uh, be in ice. You know, sub freezing water for 15 minutes and all this. Yeah. You know, and you can control it through your breath. How'd you How'd you get into Hoff? Well, you know, um, going back to my my being paralyzed. I think most people think, oh, he doesn't walk. And that's kind of the end game. Um, I, I, that's that's the easy part, not mm. walking. The hard part is um, I also lost my um, my my ability to control my bladder. Right, so I have um, no control of my bladder. So I've got to got to be very aware of what I'm eating, what I'm drinking, how much I'm drinking. Um, you know, so uh, there's a whole science behind it. And for a while, I was having issues. I was battling constantly urinary tract infections. Mm. And they can be quite brutal. Um, they can wipe you out. And then, you you know, uh, you lose days and days, even after you're taking antibiotics. And I just said, what what am I doing differently? So I had to, you know, I was journalizing how much I was drinking, what I was drinking. You know, I gave up coffee, anything that was caffeine-based. And, you know, really, I have to tell you, um, I started reading up about Hoff and I said, oh, this, you know, and it, I think it really has improved my immune system. I always had a good immune system, but I think I, I have found it very beneficial. And since implementing that along with a lot of other diets, you know, and other, you know, philosophical uh, um, uh, way of thinking it's and, and structure in my life, um, it, it's definitely I've decreased my amount of UTIs, urinary tract infections. So I, I found it very beneficial. So I can't tell everybody to do Wim Hof, but, you know, like, you know, he's a, he's a wild man, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. and I, I actually learned about him on a podcast and I'm trying to remember, but in any case, and then I just went like, you know, I, I went down the rabbit hole. I went, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went down the rabbit hole. Exactly. Yeah. Well, no, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I do not play one on this podcast, but uh, you just study placebo effect. So there is a, a huge, yes, it's scientifically proven that. What you're thinking will affect um, your recovery 100%. and how you uh, respond to medical issues. And like I said, just go Google placebo affected. One hundred percent. You know, and so to me that that completely makes sense. And then you know, breath is everything. I mean, like you know, um, it's everything. I mean, oh, see, this it's. I, I wish we had more time. We have we have time, but like mm-hmm. I, I could see, we could just we could talk for hours. Yes. Like, like you like with breathing, like. Uh, that's what they teach seals and snipers to do. Like those guys, like mm-hmm. ice cold. Like pulse doesn't go above sixty. Yeah. Even you know that like that's that's how you control your body, right. your breath. Right. And 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 and, and, you, and I, like you said, like it's again to your whole everything. What we take for granted, like we think breathing is involuntary because it kind of is. But if you could harness the power of the breath, which you're doing, I love it, man. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um. So. Um, they're like, talk about wine. Do I pour a little of this little Vermont wine from Ellison Estate? Oh my God. Yeah. Look at the color. Yeah, it's it's pretty dark. But it's funky. It's it's funky. It, it is funky. It's funky. It is. It is. It it's is. Funky. It is. Indeed. But you know what? I mean, but it's not, it's not, 
it's not it's not um it's not any more funky than like a crew Beaujolais though. I mean, it's not. It's not. Well, it's 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 in that category yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's got that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a fun wine. It's what I call like a crushable wine, you know. Um, but it's got that color of dolcetto to it. Yeah, I love the uh, color. Yeah. Um, but they're they're really good people, and you know, if you ever have a chance, I know you. I, I always hear you talk about your passion and love for Paso Robles, which I think is great that they have such a strong advocate in you. But you know, I would imagine what Paso Robles was maybe twenty five years. Oh, ago. Oh, it sucked. Hey, hey, yeah. I, I tell people yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Paso, Paso Robles had to grow up. The wines were ass. They were flabby. No, they were. They anyone who anyone who knows, and my friends in Paso Robles, they know like twenty twenty five years ago, it was still struggling. Regions struggle to find <clears> themselves, <throat> right? So, Finger Lakes is starting to find. Itself. Yes. Uh, Vermont is going to start finding. So, I mean, a lot of this is climate change too. You yeah. Know? And for then sure. also um, willingness to do like, like hybrid grapes. But um, no, I love it all. I mean, I'll, I'll go visit a winery in Vermont. I mean, I, I, that's, I know so, I mean, I know so much about wine. <laughs> what I know about wine, I know from tasting wines. Of course, that's right, what that's I would say. Exactly. You know, exactly. you don't you don't so learn you don't learn your lesson by reading about it. No. I believe in that education, yes. but yes. you know, it's it's getting your hands in the dirt. You know? Exactly. Um, so, um, so yeah, this is really interesting, and this is a what's what's been fun is um, I love how all the guests you bring different wine like like. And I love these interesting ones. Like, this is so interesting. Like, this is not something I would go to a store and buy, right? right. But now I'm like, oh, you know, now I have two wines from Vermont, like in a month. I know. That's <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> Bananas. Never yeah. had one in my life. Two in a month. Yeah. Go figure. <laughs> I know. That's it. I, I, when I listened to that podcast, I said, of course she did it, Pascaline. Of course she, you know. No, no. But it's, um, I think the, it's, it's. What I call, I, I don't know if this sounds pretentious, but um, it's an honest wine. It's a wine of purity, you know. You no, it is. It's unadulterated, you know. Um, you can really feel like, you know, the, 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 the grapes were, were, were harvested by hand. They were crushed probably by foot. Um, and you have like that, you know, just beautiful purity to it. And it's a, it's a fun wine. And it's even nicer when the people behind the label are kind and good people and they're making a difference and they're adding something yes. to, 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 to everybody. Yes. No, I agree. That That's ultimately, that's, you know, and it's the stories. Like every wine tells a story. Every wine tells a story. Um, but I will say about this wine, love the color. It It is, um, it's pleasant. It's definitely crushable. You, I could see chilling this down summer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And also... Would be great, would be great with food. I can just tell it would, it would think it would just start popping off in different directions with some food. Yeah. You know what's great about this wine? It's it's got this like sweetness to it mm -hmm. and ripeness, but mm -hmm. it's not high in alcohol. So you can actually, you know, you're out outside, chill, barbecue food, some meats with marinade on it, um, dishes that are teriyaki based. I mean, there. So there's there's you know there's some fun stuff to have. Like I said, I think it's just uh, it's an exciting time for the Northeast region. Um, in particular, or even the East Coast, um, there's some really cool stuff happening. I mean, I, I, I visited Virginia as well a couple of times. Yeah. Some, some great stuff happening down there. Yeah. Too. You know, uh, I had Lee Campbell on. She, wonderful. She fucked me up with the wine she brought from Virginia. Because uh, again, 20, 25 years ago, it was like it was all about Horton Cab Francs. Yeah. That's right. Um, you know, 30, 30 years ago, I'm a little bit older, but like, and, but to see, like, I was like, I was like, this is a fucking Merlot blend from Virginia. Like, yeah. and even just the ripeness, like they weren't, yeah, I mean, it's coming in like California. It was like 14, seven yeah, or something. Sure, sure, I mean, sure. but, but harmonious, no heat. Um, and that's, to me, that's fun, right? Like 
that's the thing. And I tell people when they're like, oh, you know, I haven't had any wines from Missouri. Like, oh, there's a winery in Missouri. Like, everybody, like, once they know you know wine, yeah, like, I'm yeah. going to send you some wine. I'm like, oh, uh, that's probably going to be better if I taste it at the winery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 first, the first designated wine zone in America was in Missouri. Augusta. That's crazy. Yeah. That's ban- isn't that bananas? It's, it's, it's amazing. That, that was the first designated wine yeah. zone. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I actually they... I actually tasted my first wine from Kansas uh, a few days ago. Get out. Yeah, it was good. It was fun, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, and that's the thing. You gotta listen. You gotta be people at the end of the day. Be willing to try wines. One hundred percent. Yes. You know, you're gonna learn more about it. So, when was it that uh, you decided to go uh, study with my girl Mary Ewing Mulligan? So um, I I will say this. Um, uh, I don't know if you recall uh, Linda Laurie. She was a, an instructor there. Okay. She was quite tall, um, probably about my height at the time. Um, and Linda Laurie was one of the first people in the wine industry that I had called that that knew, that had found out about my car accident. Okay. And I called her up from the rehab um, that I was doing my 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 physical therapy, and um, I. First, I talked to an admin and I said, oh, I'm, I'm calling because I want to take your diploma class and I just want to make sure, is, is your building wheelchair accessible? Now, I'm sure probably for them, that was probably the first time that someone was asking, is your, is your building wheelchair accessible? And the diploma classes were happening somewhere on 65th Street in one of those like fancy townhouses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that had like five steps or whatever. And so the woman said, well, let me find out. I'll, I'll, I'll take your name down. And I'll and Linda Laurie, who was basically like, you know, the face at that time after Mary Ewing Mulligan mm-hmm. of the International Wine Center, she called me up. She said, Yannick. Oh my God! What happened? And you know, of course, they 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 figured it out and they put a ramp there. And so I was taking some of my classes at, at for diploma in that building. They were accommodating and all that. But but I, I it was a great great program. I mean, it, it God, it gave me so much structure, and I love the instructors there. And some of them I'm still friends with, actually. The supersonic. Why was that important to you? To because um, you you were I mean, like you you had had yeah. a job and you and you yeah. were working under Master Sam and. I know there's that whole path of, I mean, like, you know, like Andre, let's take it, like, take it like Andre. Andre sure. took, you know, one level one, that's it. Yeah. And, and like, did you feel, why'd you feel that was, why was that important to you at that point? In my, my, yeah, my relationship with academia is very kind of strange. Exactly. You know? <laughs> it's very bizarre. You know, I mean, like, I finished college at the age of 33, I went back, you know, um, I, and I did go back, but, but, um, in one hand, I believe that, especially in the world of, I'll stay more specific on in restaurants, um, I think that it's really a, an industry that you have to be hands on. That's where you're going to learn, you know, 90% of it. What I thought, and I still believe that, what the, like the WSET, you know, the International Wine Center, what it gave me was, it gave me structure. So, um, and that's what I very much, but it was also structure that I also enjoyed. So it was a, a topic that I liked digging deep. And I'm, I'm constantly like on a new thing. Like right now, I'm like digging deep in like molecular food and wine pairings, you know, and I've got five, six books that I just bought. So I'm really super obsessed. And my wife's like, oh my God, you know, kind of like that. Um, but that's, that's how my brain kind of functions. No, I get it. I'm the same way. I mean, I went to law school and I probably have, uh, I went to law school and never went to class. It was amazing, um, but 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 give me a su- give me a subject. I, I read more books. I've read more books since I've gotten out of graduate school yes. than I read. And you know, that's literally that's when you're supposed to read a shit ton, right? Like I'm the opposite. Yes, you know, I agree. I, I I've read more books because I I will read stuff I want to learn about. Yes, you know. So I I totally feel you on that, man. I totally feel yeah. You. Um, 
So when did retail come into this mix? Because uh, so be, earlier you were like yeah. you're working over right. here for eighty bucks just to learn about yeah, wine. Yeah, yeah. You working seven days a week, like R- right? So um, I had my car accident, and um, you know I went back to the Ritz Carlton Hotel um, to work part time, actually, which was like amazing. Um, and I was doing like a lot of office work and admin stuff, but it was great just to kind of build up that energy and again that sense of purpose. And um, I had a couple of um, uh, setbacks health-wise. Um, you know, I had what they call pressure sores. Um, so for for me, it's really important that I get the right um, cushion and all that. And my body was changing and all that, and so I developed what they call like a stage four. Um, um, pressure sore, which means that it's basically, and I don't mean to be good graphic, but I might as well because I need to educate everybody. Yeah, please. Um, um, you can, st- at that time, you could still stick two fingers. It was literally just a hole, you know, it was a mm. cavity. Um, that's basically the, the bone that just keeps pressing and it just kind of tunnels and trying to heal it up, trying to heal it up. And then my body just gave out. And then finally, I found this amazing doctor who said, I can do surgery on you and we can close that up. And I did that. And so, just before I was going into surgery, um, a, a dear friend of mine said, let's go out and get shit faced before going to surgery. That's what you're supposed to do, right? I said, yes, of course. You know? <laughs> so we went to um, one of your your, your former guests, uh, Robert Bohr, yep. went to his uh, restaurant crew because mm-hmm. they had like a, a crazy list. So yep. we went, went to the bar and we had a couple of wonderful bottles of wine. And the waitress there, uh, Rocky Gray, who actually works for uh, Robert Bohr now at Grand Cru Selections, um, we kind of befriended each other, and she was very good friends with Jean-Luc Ledoux, who was about to open up a wine store. And he's from the same village as my dad is in Brittany. And yeah, so we, of course, knew of each other, but I said, hey, you know, I'd love to talk to him. You know, I need some career advice, and he's established. He worked 10 years at Danielle, and he's one of the, he, you know, one of the OGs of the psalm industry. Yeah. And so I gave her my number. Sure enough, the day that I was going in to get surgery, he calls, I see a missed call, didn't answer because I'm like all down in, in the dumps and I listen to the voicemail and it's Jean-Luc, hey man, you know, I'm opening up this wine store and I'd love to see you if you're interested. I'm like, fuck me. Like, <laughs> what, like what kind of luck? So I, I was basically in the hospital after that because it's very invasive surgery. I was yeah. in the hospital for over three and a half weeks and I had some complications, got blood clots and all that kind of stuff. And then finally I had the courage after I came out of the hospital to go visit him and he said to me, he said, listen, man, I hired my team and I would love – and I said, perfect. I need to like – I need to like go backwards. I need to go backwards. Can I come and work for you whenever and come in whenever I want? But I'll work. I'll do whatever you want. He said, you want to work for free? I said, I want to work for free. I need to I need to figure this out. I need to learn the game again. I need to go backwards. Mm-hmm. I need to regroup. And that's how that relationship all began. That's how it developed. Shit, man. Um, I, I, there's just this theme – of 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 grit and perseverance, man, through your story. That's just oh, thank you. Um, it's very inspiring. Um, so you're studying for uh, you to become a master Somali. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I read it took how many times for you to pass the exam? Well, I didn't. I you know I did not pass the master Somali exam. You know, I passed okay. the advanced. You okay. know, I've taken it a couple of times. So. Okay. Um, I, I did not pass the I, I passed uh, the tasting portion okay. uh, and the service portion, and I, I I was left with the theory, but I I didn't I I didn't bone down, and you know as the years have gone by, I've realized why I did not pass the theory because theory is the one that you actually 
control. It's the, the portion that because the blind tasting is a little tricky, right? Yeah. You know? And then service could be tricky too. But theory, if you like, you know, spend and dedicate a few hours a day or an hour a day, you know, you put your, you could probably pass it, right? You know, um, but then it's a matter of trying to find time if you're working in restaurants. Um, with that being said, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I started thinking, I said, I just was too afraid. And so I knew that I could have passed theory because I had passed it before, but all I had was at that point, and and I was scared because I was going through, and you hear this a lot now, and I said that's fucking what I had. Sorry, um, imposter syndrome. Right. And I was afraid right. if I passed it, mm-hmm. that I was going to get bombarded with questions and like, is this guy legit and all that. And now I'm in a stage of my life where I'm like, yeah, I'm legit. I feel good. I've done. I've. 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 I've grinded. I've done everything that I'm supposed to. You know, I'm kind of old school like that. But at that time, I'm not saying that I was trying to self sabotage myself. But it's a weird thing that here I was, you know, passing service in a wheelchair, which right. is really hard. And the theory was really the one thing I actually could control. But I. I. I, and I was known to be a theory machine, and. I didn't take the time to study, which, you know, all of it's really bizarre. So I definitely didn't do myself any favors. And I was definitely deep down inside looking back. I was dealing with something that I decided to kind of push aside. Yeah. No, you're spot on. I think everybody, I mean, just about everybody except for narcissists has it. Um, you would have to. It, it just, it's, right. I mean, having this podcast, like, shit, who am I? Yeah, I mean, that's what you say. Like, who am I? Yeah. Who am I to be sitting down with Yannick Benjamin? Oh, get out of here. Come on. That's how I feel about you. I mean, like, I mean, like, I mean, but I, I feel you. And that, and also I love what you said. And that's the thing. Like, it's, um, it's, it's subconscious. It's yep. not even like it, it should be subconscious self-sabotage. Yeah. You know, it's not, we don't, we don't, it'd be like, literally like, why did I do that? Like, you don't right. even know why. Right. Right? right. And like you said, and for you, like you watch the movie, like the service is like the hardest part. Like someone, who was it? One of our guests was like, they were like, they didn't like her outfit or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jordan. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Jordan yeah, so, yeah, yeah she's sure. saying she's in like the, the, the she didn't pass service. They're like, I don't like. They didn't like yeah, her blouse great, or something. I mean, so, 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 yeah. so. But like you said, the one thing that's in your control, your subconscious took away. So yeah. So that's just guys. Just listen. I mean, this is real. Like you know, all you aspiring psalms out there, right. like just you know. Um, it's, there's a lot of work you got to do, mental and spiritual. It's not just yes, yes, well said, and I agree with you. That's the, that's the one part, and also don't forget that you need to know numbers and 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 understand how to run a business. You know, because right. that memorization and and of like all the grand crews and and the Grossegovex and all that will only get you so far. At the end of the day, you have to you have to you know respond to your bosses and to a to a board or whatever the case is and you have to be able to explain to them what exactly is being said on that PLO, PNL sheet. Right. And that's the thing too, right? It's like we uh, we it's been great um shining a spotlight on this career, but I think people don't understand it. it's a job and like if you want to advance like like you said it, it's there's it, there's a whole business and, and at the end of the day, it's a business. Like, and like you said, you either have a board or directors or someone who, yeah. who's like, dude, I don't, I could give a fuck about Pliny Mantra yeah. shit. I mean, I love drinking it, but like, we're not making any money, bro. Yeah, like, so we've got to pay, we've got to pay the rent, we've got to pay the, you know, the electrical bill and all that kind of stuff. I think, um, I think the biggest flaw with wine education, and there's a lot, you know, but the biggest one is that we don't, we simply don't teach uh, the the business side of uh, of wine, both from a importer. Perspective mm-hmm. from an entrepreneurial perspective, 
um, just from a, a if you're a beverage director's position, because it's not just about wine too. It's also about like cocktail cost of the cocktail and and spirits and all that. So there's a lot of work to be done in that aspect for sure, yeah. and I hope that changes. Very cool. Um, tell me about Wine on Wheels. Yeah, Wine on Wheels was started uh, in 2012, and um, I owe a lot to that to uh, Jean-Luc Ledoux, who um, was the owner of Ledoux's Wines, where really gave me a platform and my start um, after my car accident. And uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but he was a wonderful human being. But he he would just give us the store um, to me and Alex. And Alex, who is my the co-founder, he was also in a car accident. He's a quadriplegic, which means he's paralyzed from the chest down. Mm. So, and uh, we befriended each other because we were roommates. So you can imagine two months, you know, during a very crucial time in your life, you really develop a strong bond. Sure. Wow. And we knew that we wanted to eventually when our lives would settle down, that we wanted to create an organization, a small hands-on nonprofit, especially where the co-founders have that disability. It's not like, you know, you know, actors or whatever. I, I know. I, you know, I, I, you know, I work for a nonprofit. You know I, I, like yeah. it, there's a there's a nonprofit industrial complex out there. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So we 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 definitely uh started that. So I, I was the guy who was going to, you know, do the whole fundraising and Alex was the guy who was going to, you know, do, um, do all the development, you know, um, as far as trying to get people what they needed, wheelchairs and certain equipment that, you know, Medicaid would not pay for, um, you know, catheters, medical supplies that I would say most of uh, most things that critical mass doesn't know about mm -hmm. and they don't know the intricacies and how complex the insurance and Medicaid system is. Um, and so it's important to have those advocates there on your side, especially for people that are just new to the to, to the to your disability because it's a lot to absorb. It's a lot to deal with. And then all of a sudden you've got to get bombarded with insurance stuff and all that. So, you know, it's it, it, Wine on Wheels was started to generate money, um, to raise money with some really fantastic sommeliers, wines that were donated by some really great importers and distributors. And uh, we raised some good money and we've continued to do so except for the last two years because of, of, of the pandemic. And we hope to do so maybe next year again. I mean, I don't think anything's going to happen this year, but, you know, it was, it, it's been a, a very good run and we hope to continue it um, in the future. Yeah. Now, also, I saw somewhere um, you're involved. So you, you, we all started kind of coming full circle, like wines of impact. Um you work. I saw a rosé wine, but aren't you doing something with some wines that, yeah. are, that are for sale at retail that are actually? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. So uh, one wine is called uh, Liquid Geography, um, and that's brought in by a, a wonderful import company called Ole Obregado. And the gentleman there, his name is Patrick Mata, and uh, he's been an angel. I mean, really, and I mean that. Um, he's been so good to us at Wheeling Forward. Um, we're so blessed to have him as a friend. Um and, and because of liquid ge geography, all the proceeds comes to us and another charity that he, he he's involved with. But um, during the pandemic, to receive the check that we received from him was, you know, just it was a game changer mm. because we were struggling. Mm -hmm. And he's done a lot. So there's a lot of incredible good people. Um, we actually recognized Patrick Mata last year, but we were not able to give his award in front of everybody at Wano Wheels. 
um, for all the generosity and for all the goodwill and work that he does for us and also giving us a platform. So we're very blessed to have individuals like him. I mean, it's very humbling. You know, um, he, he's a good human being. So Liquid Ge- Geography Rosé, it's from Bierzo. It's Mencia. It's delicious and it's very affordable. I mean, usually it retails anywhere from about 8 to 10 bucks. Yeah, it's like 8 to 10. It's, right. it's super easy, you know. Perfect rosé by the pool with anything. So check it out, and it all goes to a good cause. I can tell you, it, it, it all the proceeds comes to, to 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 really good charities. That's awesome, man. That's such a cool project. Um, so you do all this stuff. You're some, and and you retail, and you you want a nonprofit, and you're an advocate for for inclusivity and, and diversity. And now you're adding restaurateur to your resume. What's uh, what's going on there? Yeah, so uh, uh, a couple years back, um, my friend and also mentor, George Gallego, who was one of my fr- the first people that I met who coached me through my injury. He's he's a paraplegic as well, and he's an accomplished uh, triathlete, triathlete mm. triath- and he he's he's done quite a, amazing things in his life. And he was the one that inspired me to do marathons, New York, Boston, Chicago. And he was always like, you've got to open up your own place. You've got to open your own place. Well, there was a, an, an open, empty storefront that nobody was going after. And he saw it and he knocked on the door. And him and another friend said, oh, we should try to do something. And George said, yeah, we're not doing it without Yannick. So he calls me up. I thought he was just asking me for advice. He's like, no, you're going to be like the guy here. I said, oh, my God, because he was just always insistent. I mean, this is true love, right? Uh, someone to just you know, push you to, to, mm-hmm. to, to achieve your dreams. And I would not have done it without him. And we have another partner there called Lorenz Skeeter who was – who was he had a, a a business right next door to it, a courier service, and he was trying to do something with it too. So it all really worked out. All the stars aligned. The name of the restaurant is called Contento. It's um, on 111th Street between Park and Madison. And uh, the way the restaurant's designed, it's 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 universal design, meaning that it's accessible. We have five seats at the bar that's counter seating. So you know, MJ, when you come there. You and I, you won't be sitting at the bar and I'm going to have to look up at you. We can just have just we're, – we're looking to each other Perfect. eye to eye. Um, and we're hoping that we're going to have other people with disabilities come there who want to learn about the hospitality industry. They can work there or do an internship there. Mm. You know, uh, We have a wonderful, wonderful team there, uh, both back of the house and front of the house. The food's going to be absolutely uh, delightful. We have a gentleman named there, Oscar Lorenzi, who's Peruvian. Um, and he's just – he's crushing it and I'm very happy and honored to be working with them. And we, we definitely have a very good crew, an honest crew. And we're also going to be doing um, classes there to teach about wine. But it's not about just teaching wine. It's also like if we do a subject on wines of Italy, we're going to talk about what the government, what's the current events happening in Italy. Because we want these individuals, when they go out to the workforce, that they have knowledge and they have content that they can talk about, mm-hmm. uh, current events, because we don't teach civics. So it's not about – in the what's in the glass of wine, but it's what the glass has to offer as far as the conversation, and that's what we want. And so, hopefully, when the restaurant opens, this is what we're going to start doing immediately and effectively. That's just. I just want to. I want to give you a stand. Uh, uh, it's so great. Uh, it's so freaking it. awesome, man. Um, and I think you talked a little about the list. Um, the wine list also is going to have a. You said a heavy. Uh, yes. uh, focus on the Northeast, but also. Uh, Wines of impact. Yeah, wines of impact. So we're gonna have wines of impact. Uh, you know, um, there. You know, just to. You know, I want to carry like there's a winery out in Santa Barbara called uh, Quito Vineyards. You know, and it's owned by a Native American woman. Um, things of that yeah. nature. And I want 
people from different cultural backgrounds who are really kind of like, you know, breaking the barriers, who are making an impact, who are who are just saying like, no, this the the what you think should be normal, meaning like, you know, you know, the pretty uh, white couple on top of the hill, you know, no, no, there's there's a lot of other people who like wine and who like to drink wine. Mm-hmm. And so definitely having that emphasis. There's a guy named Roberto de la Mota who makes a wonderful wine in Mendoza. It's called Mendel. He's a paraplegic, you know, so really featuring that. But it, again, it's not just about social sustainability, but what they're doing for the environment mm-hmm. and, and farming practices and all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to have it broken up, you know, where there's going to be a section called the uh, wines of the ancient world, you know, so featuring wines from Lebanon, from Israel, um, from Georgia. You know, so that they, that tells a story. I want to make the country, it, not the state. For yeah, yeah, the, right, the, right, right, the, right, right. The three, you're like exactly, I'm, I'm exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm also thinking about adding a uh, section called urban wineries. So wineries that have you know uh, that are in an urban setting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one out in Paris. There's a couple out in Portland. We have City Winery out here, uh, uh, Red Hook Winery. So you know, doing some fun stuff. I think that's really important. So I, I'm thinking about putting a section like that. It's going to be, it's going to be a small list, but an impactful list, and it's going to be a, it's not an intimidating list. And we're not going to just like geek it out. There'll be wines that, that hopefully people recognize by label. You know, I'm not going to just have nothing but like grapes. Oh, I never heard of this grape before, but you know, like a good Napa Cab. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice Malbec, mm-hmm. you know, things of that nature, you know, which other Psalms, unfortunately, kind of poo-poo for whatever reason. I I love having a nice Napa cab. I, I, I like having a nice Malbec. So we want to make sure we're not buying wines for ourselves. We have to understand our audience, and that's yeah. what's really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, oh, this is a really exciting project. I can't wait to come down. Yes. Super, <laughs> super, super VIP. So, so um You've had all these experiences. Was there like, um, was there a bottle of wine? Like, what was like, what was the, like the the wine that made you go mad? Though it was so good. Like, <laughs> like what, what what wine was that? Man? Very good, very good. Um, the wine for me um, was definitely, I would say, uh, Joseph Roti, his Gevry uh, Chambertin, or Joseph and Philippe Roti, um, the Champagne. Uh, it was a uh, wine that was given to me by my mentor Willie Schur. When I was in the when I was in the hospital after my car accident, and I had not really tasted any wine for almost you know well over two months, and so on January 9th, I'm looking out on my window and it's full of snow. It's like you know nine inches, and I'm like, oh, how am I gonna get through this snow in a wheelchair? Like holy crap! Like that's like the anxiety was building up, and my dad was there, and my mom was cooking because it was my first day back. And they said, you know, let's open up some wine. I said, yeah, that's a good idea. So I, I chose the the Joseph and Philippe Proti, and we opened it up. And it was kind of like when you're a kid eating a cherry or a peach for the first time, the flavors just exploded, right? And that's what I felt. And not only that, besides the flavors, but the stimulation that I got. And, and then right away I said, okay, I got to figure this out. Like I, I, you know, because people were telling me like, you know, maybe you should go into law because I was still young enough or go into, you know, IT. And I said, oh, come on, man. My brain is not conditioned to sit behind the desk. It's just not. And I said, no, I want to be in this world of food and wine and hospitality. It was, it's just so important to me. And so that wine was actually quite life-changing for sure. Shit. Wow. 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 So, Lastly, um, what would you say is you're finding most exciting in wine, the world of wine right now? What do I find? Yeah. So, again, um, the thing that I would probably say the most exciting, 
And it's unfortunate that it it had to happen this way for me personally, meaning that I've been very blessed, I'm very privileged that I've traveled to a lot of spectacular places. Mm -hmm. But because COVID happened, obviously we were not able to travel. And what it really did, and I've always been proud of what we can do out in, in on the East Coast, but it really forced me to dive deep into the East Coast terroir. And um, I think, you know what, I, I'm just so mad at myself that I've taken them for granted. Um, we have such a complex geological diversity up and down the coast. We have such amazing, passionate um, farmers out here. And so going from, I mean, I visited a place called Doden Vineyards in Maryland, and their wines were legit and they're farming. They're doing regenerative farming, some wonderful stuff. And then visited this guy, Glenn Manor, and the vineyard site is spectacular. It almost looks like Cote Roti. You know, mm. you, you need four-wheel drive to just get up to the top of the hill. And they're doing some delicious Cab Merlot blends and Petit Monsang, which is uh, it's a delicious white grape. And so – and then when you visit wonderful, humble producers from Vermont to the Finger Lakes and to down even in North Fork, I've been incredibly inspired – and, and I'm so proud of what they're doing. So that's what I'm. I, that's what's really making me happy. And I think we can't possibly practice um, sustainability. We can't practice. Oh, I got all these organic producers and biodynamic producers, and I'm aware of the carbon footprint. But then you look at the list. You have five, six hundred selections, or a thousand, and you don't have one local producer. And I don't have a problem with that. But don't talk about, you know, how you're obsessed with the environment when, right. when you're, you know, or you're like, yeah, local, local tomatoes and local this, but you're not supporting. Now, listen, if you don't like the wine, you don't like the wine. I get that part. But you cannot tell me that there's not some people, there, there's not wineries or, or beers or whatever it is um, that they're doing some fantastic stuff. I had sake in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Kura, and it was good. Yeah. It was delicious. Yeah. And why? Because we have the best water in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something to be said about that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm incredibly enlightened about what's happening here. Well, that's awesome, man! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, you know, we book studio time, so I could talk for hours, but we can't. He's also got to get to work. But um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, though. but man, thank you so much uh, for being here. Tell people where they can find you and they can be a part of what's going on with you. For sure, um, you can. Our restaurant's going to be contentonyc.com, uh, and then the nonprofit is wineonwheels.org. And then you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all under at Yannick Benjamin. And same thing with uh, Wine on Wheels and uh, Contento. Thank you, Mike. Oh, man. Thank you so much for being here. Um, really enlightening. Thank you for being so generous and and sharing your story and uh, vulnerable and just a super inspiring. Um, everybody, it's MJ. Until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers. Deep thinkers, <laughs> Yannick, you offer all these. And definitely to all you wine drinkers, take care. Peace. Thank you, MJ. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 